1: Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. As you probably know, this is a special show if you're seeing me, uh, you're seeing my face on video, and it's not the traditional intro, but yes, it is a special show. Double header, both on video and audio. Why am I doing this? Well, it's 2022 now, and as you probably know, the Archons are just getting warmed up. This year will probably be as unreal as the last few years in this age of Hermes, Philip Dick world, and Gnostic times. So, as a gift to you, I thought I'd offer you some extra gnosis, something for your toolbox to get you through the year. I think you'll find these shows very useful. And uh, it's a gift to you because uh, 2021 was Aeon Byte's best year. Truly appreciate your support, your company, and your feedback. So, it's a gift. And uh, it will be, the two interviews will be full for, subscribers and non-subscribers. However, I have a very cool bonus for all subscribers if you're listening on audio. Our cool astral guests will be, first we will have an interview with a video game creator, MIT and Stanford graduate, Silicon Valley sage, and entrepreneur Rizwan Burke on his book The simulated multiverse—very cool read—and as you will see, basically supporting what the Gnostics contended two thousand years ago, and now science, logic, and math are supporting. Reality is becoming unreal. Our second guest, also very cool and very relevant to today, to today's gnosis, is Tamara Lucid, and she will be discussing her book. Making the Ordinary Extraordinary. She's a cool cat, and she's a musician, an editor, and an all-around cool esotericist. Uh, the book is a personal biography of her working under and being friends with Manly P. Hall. So lock up your Daughters of Orthodoxy, and let's get this party started. First will be at Rezwan's interview, And my takeaway or preview drivel, if you want to call it, is that of the simulation theory. Uh, One of the themes you'll see in the interview, and this harkens and echoes back to our interview with Rodney Asher that I did in 2021 on his great documentary, A Glitch in the Matrix. And the theme is that the simulated reality uh beyond being as I said what the Gnostics predicted and what we probably are truly in. It's um well, let me back up. As I've said before, too, we live in very divide and conquer times. It's a great weapon of them Dar Argons, and it's work this circular firing squad. So something to unite us, and perhaps the best thing might be the simulated theory. Why? Well Because the simulated uh, reality or simulated theory, or whatever you want to call it, whatever we're doing today, it does unite both science and religion, mysticism and philosophy. Uh, These ideas can, again, get rid of that divide and conquer and help us move on to the future and unite us more here in the present. And these are Gnostic times, needless to say, in our interview, there will be a lot of Philip K. Dick. So that's a thing to keep in mind, and uh, definitely sev- several other things because uh, Rez is simply the bomb, the gnosis bomb. So uh, without further ado or goodbye, let us do our interview with Rezwan Virk.
2: This is the Aon Bide interview, and with us we have the pleasure of being joined by Rezwan Virk how are you rez and thanks for coming on the show
3: uh doing all right thanks for having me on the show
2: oh it's an honor to have you loved your book love your work for the audience here is i'm putting in the light simulated multiverse which was a really good read and a, i like it because it's a very approachable read i'm one of those people who start hitting me with science and physics i get all doughy-eyed but you make it very approachable and your your views of putting movies with each chapter so we can kind of understand what you're talking about was really cool so good job
3: oh thanks yeah that's i find you know with these topics when we're talking about simulation theory and reality not being real you know the references to science fiction are the easiest way to get the point across and then the science kind of follows along that so even if somebody doesn't want to get into the details they can still get the gist of things
2: yeah 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 it's great and it's easy to understand especially with this uh, wealth of movies that really support simulated reality and the simulated universe. And with us too from outer space and another simulation, we've got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing tonight?
4: Well, I couldn't be here tonight, so I sent my simulated copy from another universe uh, to Your avatar. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we
3: wouldn't know pretty soon. We won't know the difference, right? As uh, the AI gets good enough, uh, we could be talking to, you know, (laughs) just AI avatars and not uh, physical ones yeah
2: yeah and in fact one of your uh uh goals of the book is sort of to tell us you bring a lot of meaning like you know you go through the science and everything else but you're also people are going to ask uh well what does this all mean and you answer this question right res you say uh it really comes down to understanding if you're an npc or an rpg right that's the that's the goal like uh, the movie free guy which you weren't able to add but you mention it
3: right because it came out just after i had finished the draft uh otherwise i definitely would have uh you know talked more about free guy as well but yeah and you know i like to draw that distinction between the npc version of the simulation hypothesis which is what most scientists and academics, you know, when they talk about the idea of living in a simulation, that's what they're talking about typically uh, versus the RPG version where we exist outside of the game and then we are playing an avatar inside the game. And for me, that's closer to, you know, what all the world's religions have been talking about. And I believe that gives us a better framework uh, for understanding, you know, how we might think about this uh, and what meaning we might ascribe to it. But of course, In video games, you know, I'm a video game guy, I was making games for years, and then I became an investor in video game companies. Uh, Inside a game like World of Warcraft, you have both PCs, player characters, and NPCs, non-player characters. And so, you know, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, it's actually more like a spectrum uh and so i like to use the you know the matrix version is actually closer to the rpg version because they existed outside of the matrix even though they had that you know the hole in the back of their heads that they were plugged into uh but but whereas agent smith at least started off as just an npc right
2: <laughs> yeah same as the guy in free guy he starts out and he becomes aware because the software is so good so uh yeah very interesting and what why did you decide to write uh the simulated multiverse i mean your your book the simulation hypothesis i've read it is is, is very successful and very exhaustive was there anything that said oh my god i gotta write this book now because they're close together
3: <laughs> hey, yeah they are close together uh and they came out you know within a couple of years uh, of each other uh and uh you know this year I like to say, is the year of simulation movies, Uh, you know, even uh, 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 Eclipsing 1999, which, of course, is the year that The Matrix came out. But there were also two other movies that year, major movies, which was The 13th Floor and Existence, which all which both touched on this idea as well. And this year, you know, with The Matrix coming out, probably by the time people, uh, you know, listen or watch this episode, the new movie will be out. But it's really the fourth movie to deal with this that's been, you know, kind of well-known out there. And I know you've had uh, – I think, did you have Rodney Asher on your uh, yeah. on your podcast? uh who yeah, in the Matrix. Matrix. That's right. And then there was Bliss, which was, you know, uh, with um, – um, who is it? Uh, I forget the guy's name now, but uh, it's uh, with a well-known actor. Owen. It's Hayek. Owen. Yeah. Owen. Yeah. Uh, yeah Owen Wilson, Owen. I think. Yeah. 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 Good movie. <laughs> That's right. And then of course, Free Guy, which was all about NPCs and how it'll work. And even in Free Guy, you had the the woman from outside the video game with her character inside. So you had that both of that happening at the same time. The NPCs were evolving as AI. Uh, and uh, thanks to Ryan Reynolds' uh, character. But... You know, there were also the RPG, so it's it's very interesting that we can get into into both of that. But so the thing that really got me down this path was, you know, I thought I was done with the simulation rabbit hole <laughs> after uh, <laughs> having written that book, uh, and I thought I could go back to my career in Silicon Valley and academia, and you know, not worry about this. Is reality really real? And and I ended up having lunch with uh, a colleague of mine from MIT, uh, who who I knew back in the days when I lived in Boston, and he happened to. Just take a job at Google. So he was visiting me in Mountain View, which is where the Googleplex um, is headquarters. He was visiting Google and then we had lunch downtown. And he said, Oh, I read your book. You know, it was really interesting. Do you realize that's a really good explanation for this thing called the Mandela effect? I said, Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't really, you know, thought about that much. I had heard of the Mandela effect as probably many of your listeners and viewers will have heard of it. But like most scientifically minded people, I I tended to dismiss it as a case of faulty memory. And he said, well, you know, the rabbit hole goes pretty deep. And so I ended up going back and kind of revisiting the idea of the Mandela effect, you know, from the point of view of simulation theory uh, and quantum mechanics and realized that there was actually a pretty compelling explanation for this idea that there might not just be multiple possible futures, I think everyone buys into that, including all the scientists, but that there was so so much weirdness within quantum mechanics that it's also implying that there are multiple possible pasts as well. Um, and, And so with that, I ended up going back and it was reminding me a lot of Philip K. Dick's speech in metz france and you know i i think you've had tessa tessa dick mm-hmm. on your uh show and i interviewed her you know when i was uh writing the first book and at the time i just thought oh, it it's a fun thing to just mention that you know i i met her and she told me a little bit about that famous statement that uh, Philip K. Dick made in his speech, which is the one that everyone remembers, which I think you're going to play, which is about mm-hmm. we live in a computer-programmed reality, and the only clue we have is when some variable is changed or some alteration in our reality occurs. But I went back, and and, and saw the next statement which is about deja vu and talking about we would be reliving the same events again and we would be hearing the same words saying the same words and so i really went deep on the met speech and realized that oh you know what he was really talking about not not that he wasn't talking about computer simulation but that was like the less important part of what he was saying it was this Mm -hmm. idea that you could if you're in a computer program simulation you can change variables and rerun events Uh, And, you know, one thing that always intrigued me was that, you know, he claimed that uh, The Man in the High Castle was written based on fragmentary residual memories Mm -hmm. of an alternate timeline. And he got really deep into that, saying that he eventually had his anamnesis, where the memories came flooding back to him, where he remembered, you know, the full memories from those timelines. Uh, And it sounds like there was more than one as well um and, and so anyway i was pretty intrigued by that and so between you know my friend from google who's the last person i expected to talk to me about the mandela facts <laughs> uh, i expected them to want to talk about ai and simulation of course but not something as you know that's kind of crazy as the mandela effect and Going back to what Philip K. Dick was saying, I said, well, you know, maybe there's a framework here that takes this idea of a multiverse, but explains it using the area that I know, which is computer science uh, and video games, and that that would make perfect sense for why there would be. I mean, that's the answer to the big questions around quantum mechanics is why would there be a multiverse? Uh, and so, so that's what led me to, to go back and, and, and actually write this book about the simulated multiverse.
2: Yeah, I want to play the the Dick interview, and Tessa's great. She'll give you some stories, and she's really good. She'll give stories, like unique stories to each person. I've interviewed her four times, and the story she told you where Phil walked into the bathroom and was reaching for a chain, and he looked, and there's a light switch, and he's going, I swear somebody switched reality on me. And he was, you know, in his life, of course, it was possible because things like that happened and the prophecies and predictions you're like he's i don't think he's not whistling dixie he, i don't think he was high something <laughs> was going on
3: right and that of course you know led to him writing the adjustment team which was the basis mm-hmm. for that movie the adjustment bureau with matt damon and emily blunt so yeah she told some interesting stories but maybe i should talk to her again and see if there's some new stories that i can uh, coax out of her <laughs> about oh, uh,
2: well we can compare notes because i've got some for you that uh, <laughs> are very <laughs> impressive and um uh, so, the Mandela effect, and I'm sure we all have a hill to die on when it comes to the Mandela effect uh but so basically, for the audience to understand it's uh this is your idea is that the the core loop where things are feeding each other constantly, and that can actually change the past the simulation is always self-correcting itself or changing, like chaos theory or something, adding something here and there, it changes the entire thing? Or am I way off base?
3: Well, you're kind of on the right track there, but I mean, the Mandela effect, uh, and we can define it uh, for those who don't know it, although probably most of your listeners (laughs) might have a sense of it, uh, which is that a certain group of people remembered Nelson Mandela dying in prison in the 80s. uh, And... Uh, the term was coined by a blogger, Fiona Broom in 2010, when she was at DragonCon, And uh, she found that there were people who remembered Nelson Mandela uh, dying, but he was still alive at that point, right? Of course, he was released from prison in the 90s, became president of South Africa, won the Nobel Peace Prize. And I think he died in 2013, at least in our timeline, he did, right? <laughs> and no. so, you know, as she discovered all these different events, whether it's you know, the tank boy, the, the the young man that was in front of the tank at Tiananmen Square, or it's small things like the spelling of the Bernstein bears, which is actually the Bernstein bears. Um, and and so, you know, she started to catalog all of these things on our website, and it's become kind of an internet meme, and people are, are, are talking about it. And, and so, uh, you know, that was something that I dove into. And, and again, many of those things could be just simply faulty memory, but then there are other things that are harder to dismiss, you know, particularly when the person having the memories has what I call proximity or significance to the event, right? Mm. Like like in the case with um, Mandela, there's a, a YouTube blogger, forget her name now, but, you know, she went to, to South Africa to visit Nelson Mandela in prison when she was a journalism student to interview him and was told he was too ill uh, to do the interview. And then You know, when she came back, she heard that he had died. And so somebody who had that proximity to that particular person or groups of people uh, who say that they remember the Reverend Billy Graham dying uh, and getting magazines with his picture on the cover and seeing uh, the funerals of both Mandela and Billy Graham and giving very vivid detailed descriptions for those evangelical Christians who followed that ministry, to them there was significance of that. Uh, and so, you know, the more I found these types of examples, as opposed to, you know, the Flintstones is missing a T, is it the Flintstones <laughs> versus the Flintstones, is it Jiff versus Jiffy, uh, because mainstream scientists tend to uh, dismiss that as simple, you know, memory errors, and, and that could be. Uh, and so, you know, my goal was not necessarily to prove the Mendel effect right or wrong, but to say, what if what if these people are actually remembering particularly the bigger ones who have some significance to that those events are remembering alternate timelines could we do that in this context of a simulation and it turns out we can because why do we run simulations in the first place we run them to figure out what might happen what's the most likely outcome like if we're doing a simulation of the weather or pandemic stats or You know uh climate change or whatever simulations we're running on a computer what will we do we will run them multiple times we won't run them just once right and i think that's the important point so we're trying to determine the likely outcome or Mm -hmm. we're trying to determine the optimal outcome and so you know the way we train ai turns out is to run simulations multiple times uh and for the ai to learn so Uh, you know we've all heard about at this point about the ai alpha go that was able to beat the world's best players of the game go Uh which is much more complicated than chess and how did they train that ai they had it do a process called self-play it would play itself not just once but millions of times and during that the time it would rerun the same games with different variables it would learn and so it turns out that's a way to train neural networks right which we definitely have a neural network in our brain now that may not be all that we are but that is a part of why we run these simulations again and again and so the the framework that i came up with was called the multiverse graph and the core loop and i can talk about the multiverse graph a little bit later Mm -hmm. but the basic idea of the core loop is you basically run multiple uh iterations to see what might happen just like you would in any video game uh you would change the variable to one and say okay what happens if i do that now let's change it to two what happens if i do that now change it to three and let's look at those futures right and which of those futures is the most ideal one and then come back and say that's the one i want to choose well it turns out there are physicists who say that that's what's happening with the multiverse idea is that we are branching off these different possible futures and the futures are sending us back information. So the problem is it, 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 it depends on how you define what it means to exist, right? So uh, do those futures actually exist? That's an interesting question. Well, you also have to ask, does the now, the present moment also exist? Well, within simulation theory, it starts to make a little more sense because within quantum mechanics, the whole thing is just... Crazy,
5: uh,
3: <laughs> it's like well, you can't really say what's really happening, but with simulation theory, you can say it exists because this is what's being rendered at the moment in the game. Everything else is just stored as information, uh-huh. and so those futures do exist in the sense that they we already ran the simulation to see what would happen, and now we're making a choice, and that's exactly how we train uh, AI to go against video games in, in a simple way. Uh, you can just say, you know, in a chess game, if I were to move the, the the queen versus the pawn, what would happen? And you play it all out, and turns mm-hmm. out you get this giant graph of possibilities. Um, and turns out you can represent the whole universe that way. If you take all the information that's in the universe, you can create what I call the multiverse graph, which is all the possible values of all the bits of information in the universe, which physicists. Uh, estimate to be at something like 10 to the 80 particles times some constant number like 6 or 100 or something like that. Uh, but whatever the number is, uh, it turns out that's how we use quantum computers. We can use quantum computers to solve really complex problems like breaking cryptography, right? So if you're sending you know information over the internet, it's not that the computers can't break that code. It said it would take them way too long because they would have to take each of the 256 bits or the 512 bits and try every single possibility, which would take literally millions of years for my laptop to do that because we'd have to do each one in uh, serial, do one and then the next and the next. Mm-hmm. And that's why you can't break Bitcoin. Uh, but if had a quantum computer, you could do them all in parallel It would find the one that's the best and come back and say, here's the answer that works. The other answers we just discard. Well, that's a computational process. And so that's what the core loop is. I know that was kind of a long answer to uh, your question about the core (laughs) loop. The core loop is basically this idea that we're exploring these possible futures and we're figuring out what the possible Mm -hmm. outcomes are. And then we're choosing the one that we want to go down at this point in time.
2: No, well said and makes sense. And as you write with Phil Dick, uh, he puts the idea, he gets into the Gnostic idea, there's a program or an account of program, the Gnostic Zoroastrian, there's a battle somewhere because that's, that's how his mind worked. And as you write too, even Elon Musk and others, well, Elon Musk said there's a 0% chance we live in a material universe. I would agree with him. And I was also right, too, you talk about the simulation point that if uh, someone already invented it, it's already in there. It's like time travel. What's the idea? If, if time travel is possible, somebody already invented it and has been moving through time. Kind of the same thing, right?
3: right yeah so you know commenting on that so on the philip k dick part of it yeah you know he talked about the programmer and the counter programmer and you know he even used the analogy in his met speech of a chessboard. right Mm -hmm. it's as if they're sitting there playing chess and they're changing the variables not just in the present but in the past right and so i found that really intriguing and then he's because he had memories of this alternate timeline where, say, the Japanese and the Germans won World War II. He said, all we would have to do is find other people who also had memories of an alternate timeline and turns out that wasn't easy to do pre-internet but when the internet came out it was very possible to do that and that's why the mandela effect didn't really take off until the internet had been around for you know uh, 10 20 years so there were enough people on it sharing these types of stories that you could actually find the people who had the same memories so but yeah talking about the other point about Elon Musk, you know, he said the chance that we're in base reality, which would be that we're not in simulation, is one in billions. Nice. Uh, and so I I got into it, which is pretty much zero, <laughs> as you said. Um, yeah. and, and so the reason I got into this whole simulation theory was a few years ago, I sold my game company and I was playing a virtual reality ping pong game and I put on the headset and for a moment, it felt so real. It felt like I was playing a real ping pong game so much so that at the end of the game i tried to put the paddle down on the table and i tried to lean against the table and of course there was no table and the the controller fell to the floor and i almost fell over and i realized oh we're getting to the point soon where we'll be able to trick our minds now obviously i knew i was in a room and i had a headset on i had just forgotten for a moment but you know what technology would we need to build in order to build something like the matrix where where the virtual world would be indistinguishable from the physical world uh, and it turns out uh, that that point which i call the simulation point uh, consists of some 10 stages that i lay out in the first book and i mentioned in the mm-hmm. second book and those stages are not that far off uh, you know a few decades to maybe a hundred years at the most which if you think of the history of the earth or the history of the the galaxy or the history of the universe i mean it's like a blink of an eye And so the argument that Elon Musk was referring to came from a a philosopher at Oxford named Nick Bostrom. And Mm -hmm. and Bostrom wrote a paper in 2003 called, Are You Living in a Computer Simulation? And he, he basically made a statistical argument. He said, look, either technological civilizations like us will get to that point or not. And if they do... Then they're not just gonna create one simulation. Assuming they create at least one. I mean, they might decide to create zero, that's another possibility. But they will create probably at least one. But if they create one, they're gonna create lots of simulations. Why? Because you just need more computing power. It's like cranking up another server on AWS, on Amazon Web Services. Right? And so he said they're gonna create potentially millions of simulations, with each with billions of simulated beings. And so they're gonna be lots of simulated worlds with way more simulated beings than there is base reality there's only one and simulated uh, physical beings there's only so many a a finite set so if you're a being in a reality which are you most likely to be (laughs) are you most likely to be one of these of which there's a lot or these of which there's a little well just statistically speaking he made the argument it's more likely to be those and so that's you know elon musk was kind of going down the same road when he said. You know, 40 years ago, we had Pong. And it's funny how ping pong keeps coming up in this discussion, which was two squares (laughs) and a dot. And today, we have virtual reality, augmented reality, and we have uh, MMORPGs with millions of players. And so Bostrom's argument was basically, if anyone will ever get to the simulation point, we're probably already inside a simulation now, which gets back to the argument you were talking about with time travel, where if somebody is going to invent time travel in the future, they're probably already traveling through time now.
2: Exactly. God, I hope I'm not an NPC. Hopefully nobody will plug me. <laughs> these, get, these conversations get freaky, yeah? and I like how you argue that uh, a digital universe is much more likely than a physical multiverse for reasons of information storage, compression, cloning, and processing. So you sort of argue that it's even more possible, right?
3: Yeah. So, you know, what happened was as I started to research uh, the physics side of it, you know I, I always thought that there was this thing called matter right because most scientists today still hold a materialist point of view that there is something called material uh, a material world and that there is only one timeline in the material world and that's the one that we're on and so my first book was about the fact that there is no material world uh, and physicists as they went they tried to like look for this thing called matter they just couldn't find it and they said oh there's atoms but those are really you know 99 empty space oh there's a nucleus oh but within that there's just a bunch of empty space and there's these subatomic particles and within that there's just a bunch of empty space and there's some charges and some information and so they just got to the point where the only thing that distinguishes one particle from another is information uh there was a, a physicist named john wheeler who was one of the the best known physicists in the 20th century he he worked with einstein and with niels bohr and many of the the fathers and grandfathers of quantum mechanics uh, and you know he died i forget when but it wasn't that long ago so he actually saw this entire change of physics, and he said in his lifetime there were three phases in physics. In the first phase, we thought everything was a particle, meaning it was an actual physical object, like the Greek idea of atoms. Right, They're like these small uh, objects. When you place them together, you get the material world. Because then we thought everything was a field of probabilities, which is quantum mechanics. And at the end of his career he said what he realized was that the only thing that exists is information that what defines a particle is a series of answers to yes no questions which is what we call bits in the information world and so he came up with this famous phrase it from bit right so anything that's an it a physical object like this headset or this computer or this table is actually composed of bits of information right and so i thought i found that to be quite interesting Because it was showing that even the guys who hold the materialist point of view, you know, cannot find it. And so, you know, uh, in quantum mechanics, you know, the, the main... Um, the issue is this thing called a double-slit experiment, It's something called quantum indeterminacy. And the easiest way to explain that is using the example of Schrodinger's cat, which I'm sure everybody has heard of by now. But the idea is there's a cat in a box with some poison that has a 50% chance of being dead and a 50% chance of being alive after an hour. So common sense tells us, okay, after an hour, the cat's either alive or dead. It can't be both. It has to be one or the other. We just haven't looked, so we don't know, but it's only one or the other quantum mechanics is telling us something really weird it's telling us that the cat exists in a state of superposition what does that mean it means it's both alive and dead at the same time until the observation is made and so you know this has caused some head scratching you know niels bohr famously said that if you're not shocked by quantum mechanics then you (laughs) haven't really understood it and then richard Feynman said nobody understands quantum mechanics going even further but The two basic interpretations that have been popular with scientists is one, there's a a probability wave, and then it collapses down to one when you observe it. So that's the collapse theory and the multiverse theory. And the multiverse theory is saying that uh, each of those possibilities exists. In one universe, the cat is alive, Mm -hmm. and in one universe, the cat is dead. Now, there's objections to both of those. But I I found when I looked at it that what made sense to bridge that gap is, well, if you think there's a material universe, you know, then both of these are problematic. Right? But if there is not a material universe, then it makes complete sense, because when you say there's a multiverse and these other possibilities exist, you know, you would have to be creating an, an, a new universe every—not every second, every like nanosecond, right? Every time there's a quantum decision to be made, which just means the amount of information is infinite, and. So physicists love infinity that's how they explain things it's like their word for god oh infinity will take care of that you know <laughs> because everything infinity will happen, and beyond
2: you know? yeah uh,
3: yeah that's right the buzz uh, light year <laughs> is is like the physicist mantra but as a computer scientist i don't like that because we always have to think about information how much information is needed uh, and it turns out that you know you can uh, conserve information. That that's what we do. Most computer science is about reducing and optimizing the information. And it turns out the collapse of the probability wave uh, is the same as what we do in video games, right? If you tried to create a video game like Fortnite. Or World of Warcraft back in the 1980s on a Commodore 64, it wouldn't work. I mean, I, that's when I I was a kid. I'm dating myself now. But I learned a program on <laughs> Apple II and Commodore 64. Right. And there just was not enough processing power to, to keep track of all the pixels in a 3D environment. Now, computing power has gotten better. But what's even more important is that we came up with these algorithms. So we only need to render that which our avatar observes in inside the game, right? So you can only see the point of view of the avatar. You don't have to see the rest of the world. I mean, the, the 3D world could be huge, but your computer doesn't have to render all of it. So the golden rule in video games is only render that which is observed. And turns out the golden rule in physics is only render that which is observed Uh, and turns Mm -hmm. out with the multiverse it starts to make more sense because then you don't need all these physical universes to be spawned all the time you just need to keep track of the information that those universes might have and you only need to render them as you explore the different branches of what i call the multiverse graph, which is the core loop. So that's what this book is, is about. It's about tying together these two concepts uh, and ways of looking at the world, that if it's information, uh, a good scientific model is one where something that looks incomprehensible becomes at least understandable you know uh and i feel like the simulation theory even though not a lot of physicists like it right because you know they're still <laughs> saying oh we don't know how to do this we don't know how to do this one german physicist says and my, my point is well we didn't know how to do a lot of things in the past <laughs> but we figured it out and we will figure out how to optimize information to create a fully rendered world um, so yeah that, that that's you know how those concepts all tie together
2: no, that's really well said. And as Philip K. Dick, since the universe is made of information, then it could be said information will save us. The Empire never. Uh, don't get me started, but I do want to play him. But first, uh, Vance, uh, do you have a question or what do you think?
4: Oh yeah. Um, it, it? It, oh, I'm with you. Well, you know, as you know, I know something about this. Um, well, I, I use simulations that. all the time, and uh, the real question is. Who are these agencies that collapse the wave function, this consciousness, and what is this reality? What, what how do you define it? Those two things are very much related, right? So um, you were talking before, you only render what you know the, the quote unquote player is perceiving, but how does this whole system know that there's a player? What's the difference between the player and the environment that the alleged player is playing in how does that work yeah and that's a good question
3: (laughs) and i think it it hits at the heart of what we talked about earlier which is the npc versus the rpg debate about the nature of the simulation but you know i'm a video game guy so the way i think of it is uh that the npc version is kind of like when we run the simulations of worlds like sim sim city or uh you know these simulations of the weather and we are running them for ourselves to watch right uh and we're not so concerned about the individual entities that are within the simulation it's just one observer if you will on that entire simulation but in multiplayer games which is what I've been involved with MMORPGs, it's done differently, right? There are millions of players all playing the game at the same time. And each of them has a rendering device, right? So if you think about it, you and I, we are not talking right now, right? I am talking to my computer, which is (laughs) transforming. Yeah, there's a camera in my computer, but it's transforming it into bits of information. And the bits of information are being sent to i guess each of your computers right uh so and you guys are rendering it on your laptops or your phone or whatever you're using to do it and so something is synchronizing all of this this information right and same thing in a video game uh, like world of warcraft or fortnite or any of these games uh, and if they ever work out the bugs, you know, Cyberpunk uh, 7, 2077, oh God, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, that That's each of amazing. us is rendering our little piece. And then something has to synchronize that on the server. So I believe there's two mm-hmm. things going on. Well, One a is system, our right?
4: Device. Yeah, there's a system. Let's call it the system, the universe, the system. But then there's a whole bunch of agencies we're postulating that are sitting outside the system, which are interfaced to it. So they're not really created by the system. They are just manipulating the system. But now here's the other question. How do these agencies, they must be sitting in some sort of universe themselves, right? Just as we're sitting in what we call the real world, and we're interacting with our computers, which are renting and so forth. But now, how do they know that they're not in a further simulation? And you can just take that infinitely. That's that's one of the conundrums I see in the simulation
0: hypothesis
3: yeah absolutely and you know uh, the reason uh, i refer to so much science fiction in my book is sometimes it's the easiest way to talk about this kind of thing and i mentioned the movie the 13th floor right oh, which yeah I, uh, you guys yeah, that promising. was arrested. yeah 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 and in in that they were in the 1990s which is when the movie came out and they created a simulation of i think it was like the 1930s or 40s yeah Los angeles there. right and they went back in and there were npcs and there were PCs when they would go in and take over a character and play that character for a little. And then they found out that the 90s was actually also a simulation (laughs) and someone from the future, actually, I don't know what year it was, maybe it was from today, 2021. I I don't know. (laughs) I'll have to go back and watch it again. But what the person that came from the future into the simulation said was, we created thousands of simulations. And yours was the only one that created a nested simulation. And therefore, we came in here to shut you down because you're using too much computing power, right?
4: Uh, right. Our power bill was too high. No.
3: <laughs> exactly. Too much Bitcoin mining was going on. <laughs> inside the simulation. And so, you know, I tend to take the point of view that, yes, you can have stacked simulations, but there's a limit to how many levels you can have because, again, it requires infinite computing power. And I don't believe in necessarily infinite power. I believe that there is a certain amount of of power and computational ability that's used within. Now, but but again, your guess is as good as mine in terms of what does it look like outside the simulation. Uh, The agents that you're talking about tend to be more like super users or programmers and counter programmers right who are able to tweak the simulation but then i believe it's also us right that we live outside the simulation and we are players uh, as in the matrix and and that's what you know not just the gnostics but really pretty much all the major religions of the world have something that talks about this idea and they call it a soul right that exists outside the simulation and within buddhism and hinduism you don't even have to make an analogy to a video game i mean literally you go in you choose a role and you're stuck with that role game yeah
2: we're all pretending to be or something else basically
3: (laughs) right but but even before you know so you start with this level of the infinite let's call it in this case but you know, even within what's called a soul, there's there's disagreements between Hinduism and Buddhism about whether mm-hmm. the thing that's playing each of these roles, that the thing that's reincarnating, is an indestructible soul. But in Buddhism, turns out they tweaked it a little bit. There's no such thing. It's just the bag of karma that is recording everything that you did, sure. and you can then go and and take the next role, which is stored somewhere up on the server. And so, you know, it becomes an interesting question about the agents within the simulation as well. Uh, but, but I believe that, you know, I tend to subscribe that it's us at some level, and that there is probably another level beyond that, that, that we, you know, find it very hard to access, because now we're talking about two levels up. Even one level up is pretty hard to access.
2: Yeah, we could speculate on that uh, forever, especially at a party with a few joints. Uh, yeah, yeah, like uh, <laughs> yeah, Donald you know Sutherland <laughs> in the movie Animal House. I don't know if you, you, you ever saw that movie, Res. Uh,
3: I I didn't see were, that movie, but
2: too long ago. But no, <laughs> but anyway, I, I... and I'd say for the audience, if they wanted to keep it simple, all this stuff about the, you could just tell them uh, more simple movies, as you mentioned, Run Lola Run. Tom Cruise on the Edge of Tomorrow or Bill Murray and Groundhog Day, which is just a simple back and forth loop.
3: Right. It's just a simple back and forth. You're doing the same thing. Yeah, I was talking with uh, this uh, science fiction writer named David Brin he wrote the book the postman which was made into a movie back in the in the 90s and uh you know he was in and he was reading this book and he said you know there's a lot of those okay we could talk about that for hours over a beer right because there's so <laughs> many aspects to the conversation yeah. but in the multiverse idea probably the best representation today is the superheroes right the superhero movies and shows and you know when i was a kid superheroes came from you know the background that uh <laughs> you know, that we're seeing here of the uh, the galaxy, right? They came from other planets inside the galaxy. The block and that's universe, how
1: you, yeah.
3: Yeah, and that's how you explain the powers of Superman. Well, he came from another planet. Uh, but now, today, they come from an alternate timeline. And so you have the Superman of Earth-1, the Superman of Earth-22, of Earth-34. And, I, you know, I just watched... Uh, the, the animated movie uh, Into the Spider Verse mm-hmm. uh, recently, which is, I oh, think, yeah. one of the better representations of the multiverse idea, uh, where each of them exists in a separate timeline, <laughs> each of the Spider Mans. So you have our Spider Women, uh, yeah. or anime Spider Man, <laughs> or whichever one and you And then
4: have, you, know. you have Rick and Morty, which blows oh, that whole God. concept. They just destroy everything. <laughs> Through the roof. Destroy everything. <laughs> That's right.
3: Rick and Morty. Yeah. You know, I haven't That's seen the all these. The Citadel episodes, of Ricks. <laughs> Oh, you got it! <laughs> Was that the one these. where they where they were playing the life, you know? And then at the end, he takes off the goggles and he's like, "Wait, what happened to my wife and my job and my kids?" For
2: like fifteen minutes. Yeah, they minutes, play with all. Is, yeah, yeah, they play with all these. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you're right. Comic books, uh, as you write, uh, the idea of a multiverse is now very popular and. Uh, d- the new doctor strange movie is going to go completely out and about and bring this character in the comics that fights the demiurge and as you mentioned before the you know the tv series loki uh wanda vision right. it's all simulate it's almost like it's the only plot that matters for these people
3: yeah and then, yeah on the one hand you can be cynical and say well it just gives them infinite storytelling capabilities. so that's yeah. why they like it but what i liked about right. loki yeah about loki was they showed You know, this timeline, they showed it branching off, right, into like a tree like structure. And that actually relates very much to the concepts in the simulated multiverse because I talk about a tree like structure in time. Right, we're we're used to tree-like structures in space, like you know the tree mm-hmm. goes up in space. But uh, we use tree-like structures in computer science all the time. It's turns out it's the most flexible data structure. You can pretty much store anything. And as we think about like branching off, it's a great way to think about it. But you can also prune the tree. You can also say, eh, that timeline's not working. Therefore, that's the end of that branch. Now let's go on this other branch over here.
2: Yeah. Well, let me, let me play this, because I don't want to piss off Phil, and he'll send some pink beans, <laughs> and then we can comment on it, because, yeah, this is a blast, but let me play it, especially for the audience. I think uh, it will crystallize a lot of what we've been talking about. Uh, it's only two minutes. Here we go.
6: We are living in a computer-programmed reality, and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed, and... <clears throat> some alteration in our reality occurs. We would have the overwhelming impression that we were reliving the present deja vu. Perhaps in precisely the same way, hearing the same words, saying the same words, I submit that these impressions are valid and significant. And I will even say this, such an impression is a clue that at some past time point, a variable was changed reprogrammed as it were and that because of this an alternative world branched off that some of my fictional works were in a literal sense true i wrote out these dreams in novel after novel story after story to name two in which this prior ugly present obtained most clearly i cite the man in the high castle and my 1974 novel about the u.s as a police state called flow my tears the policeman said i'm going to be very candid with you i wrote both novels based on fragmentary residual memories of such a horrid slave state world People claim to remember past lives. I claim to remember a different, very different present life. I know of no one who has ever made this claim before, but I rather suspect that my experience is not unique. What perhaps is unique is the fact that I'm willing to talk about it. The only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed and some alteration in our reality occurs. We would have the overwhelming impression that we were reliving the present déjà vu. Perhaps in precisely the same way, hearing the same words, saying the same words, I submit that these impressions are valid and significant. And I will even say this, such an impression is a clue that at some past time point, a variable was changed. Because of this, an alternative world branched off
2: and what do you have it doesn't get better than that for the audience that's uh, Philip K Dick in 1977 in Metz France he was invited to talk about science fiction and he just whips out this scientific spiritual theory right res and it's the 40 minutes is incredible it's really is mind blowing and the yeah, look really, on their is, is. I love that they're like trying to be kind of courteous and they're like freaking out <laughs> That's the best yeah and
3: you see his friend uh as a Joan simpson i think i was looking at him like whoa i can't believe you just said that and yeah. and so it's worth you know i really liked how you played not just the, the the little clip but the slightly longer clip and then you played again he was saying the same words over superimposed yeah. on many of his movies and his books i thought that was great in terms of really getting the point across but uh, you know that that speech is really worth diving into, and you know there's written versions of it on the internet. Turns out he ad-libbed that line about the computer-programmed reality. It wasn't really? in the text. So if you read the actual text of the speech, it's not in there unless it was transcripted from. And he's because he says, "I wish to ad-lib here." If you watch like the full version uh, of the speech, uh, and so somewhere between when he wrote it. And on the plane ride over, you know, he, did, he decided to slip that in there. And that's become the most famous line from the speech. But, yeah, it was really incredible to, to think of this entire worldview uh, that he put out there, you know, back in 1977. It was pre-PCs, right? There weren't even personal computers, really, at that point. Or maybe the Apple II had just come out. The Apple I had just come out, I think. Uh, to, to make that kind of a statement. But it was really about these diverging timelines, I thought. The more I looked into it, uh, the more interesting I found. And I realized most people don't talk about that element. I mean, they do talk about it, but they haven't really explored it in depth. And that was why, in the end, I ended up making his speech kind of the backbone of, of this mm-hmm. new book. Because even I didn't take it that deep in the first book i just mentioned yeah we're living in a computer program reality isn't that cool philip k dick thinks so too <laughs> right
2: oh it's it's incredible and his work's incredible and he's been doing it uh, ever i mean even before that but i think what what dick was trying to do also was trying to reconcile his visions his spiritual his christian spirituality his gnostic visions and his idea he was a rational science fiction guy who love the latest theories. And as Rodney Asher said uh, when I interviewed, uh, the great thing about simulation theory is that the simulation theory is somewhere where finally, after 400 years of fighting each other, the religious and the scientific can actually come together, which is what Philip K. Dick was doing, this sort of uh, Christian science fiction Gnosticism. And here's a quote in your book, uh, which I liked a lot. The simulation argument is perhaps the first interesting argument for the existence of a creator in 2000 years. So I think this is a good thing to explore at least to you know get us all on one page, you know.
3: <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. And you know, for me that was actually one of the reasons why I wrote the the first book, the simulation hypothesis was because, you know, I spent a lot of time with computer scientists and people in academia and technologists Mm -hmm. in Silicon Valley. And I spent a lot of time with, spiritual you know buddhist monks and shamans and other people but usually they, they don't talk to each other at all uh and i spend a lot of time with people in the ufo world as well and you know this why it surprised me that my friend from google was talking about the mandela effect you know because the simulation theory is the one subject <laughs> that you can get to to pretty much go into any of these different directions uh, and it, it provides a common language Right. And so there are plenty of atheists who say, well, I suppose anybody that's outside the simulation would look to us as being a supernatural being from our perspective. Right. And so it kind of opens them up to this idea that the material world isn't everything, that there may be more out there than just that. And that's a tough hurdle to get folks in the materialist point of view to to acknowledge yeah. but the simulation yeah. about this can do it <laughs> yeah
2: yeah as you write uh, in the east they've got plenty of this uh they've been playing with the simulation in the west very very scarce you've got uh as you mentioned in your book plato's allegory of the cave then you jump to the gnostics and then it disappears into descartes demon where who creates this world and you get at least say i think therefore i am so at least i can start in the simulation with that but It's not really there in metaphysics, but now we're at a point where it's, again, it's scientific, it's religious, and it gives humanity something to break out from or search for, so... It might be more important than you think res for for the the psyche of uh, western man if you would (laughs) well yeah
3: i mean it's 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 gratifying to, to hear you say that and that you know i i spoke with rodney as well and and for me that was very much the reason that i wrote the book and decided to really spend time on it and you know i found it interesting that sometimes i would get attacked by people too far on one side or the other like people who were you know of a specific religious bent who just believed their specific Uh, religious ideas and then people that were like too far on the scientific side who who wouldn't give any credence to any religious ideas right but for the most part i found that that there was a majority of people on both sides i mean whether i was talking to evangelical christians from the bible belt or to uh, muslims from the middle east you know I, i grew up muslim so i know that tradition a little bit better and turns out even in the muslim traditions. know they have this idea of creatures that exist outside of time and space they're called jinn or genies is how we've translated them ever since the arabian nights you know became so popular Uh, but uh one of the reasons that i found in writing this book and exploring the mandela effect was they memorized the quran word for word and Mm -hmm. one of the mandela effects i was exploring was scriptural changes Right where the, the lion will lie with the lamb, and that's not really there if you look in the King James Bible. And so the wolf. I assumed, yeah, the wolf, right? It's something about the I wolf. I still
2: swear boy. it was a lion, yeah.
3: <laughs> right, and, and so I, I assumed, well, it's just people were listening to a different translation or an old version, but then you find people who say, I have the same physical book that I had when I was a kid, and I remember it from them. Well, it turns out in the Islamic traditions, and, you know, I'm not a very religious guy, so I had to go in and, and, and really investigate this. It turns out some of the Sufi traditions, there's an imam who was saying, the reason that they memorize it word for word is because the jinn... Who exist outside of time and space are allowed to go back and tweak the past and Uh, they're allowed to change things so physical things can change but your memory won't change and that's why they did it which again now we're back in this idea of programmers and counter programmers changing things in the past and and having it change the, the the present because they're in orthogonal time as philip k dick would say right? Uh, It's a different, you know, it's it's perpendicular to our idea of time. Uh, And so, you know, the idea that time is not what we think it is, is why I wrote the second book, right? which is that our ideas of time are all screwed up.
2: Yeah, you put a lot into it. And yeah, it reminds me of the church fathers when people would say, well, Jesus is like Hercules or Osiris that say, well, Satan went back in time and he rewrote history. So they were still playing, speculating on these cool ideas. I think we all have a a deep gut that we're in a simulation one way or another. I mean, I think that's what we know. And uh uh and yet like I said about the religious thing. I mean what was Philip K. Dick's main preoccupations? What is reality and what it means to be a human being? And those are the questions and not just religions, but today scientists are trying to figure out two more than ever from since quantum physics, the Copenhagen everything is those two questions, especially with AI and uh genetic engineering it's more important than ever um so i uh, i'm happy for people like you and ronnie asher i think you're very important to sort of uh, get us on the right track and as we get to the end uh, vance do you have any uh comment or a couple of questions for Rez? oh he disappeared the you, the hologram vanished.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> his, the Avatar yeah, <laughs> yeah well you know um how about this i i had an idea Uh, um, that I want your opinion on, Um, you wouldn't even need a multiverse to get to the same place because let's say you had an infinite amount of time and an infinite amount of space. Eventually, everything repeats every and, and doesn't even have to repeat exact the whole system doesn't have to repeat little pieces could repeat and exactly duplicate the state that had been in the past and then including you me and what we're talking about and then they could go off in another direction from there so you could linearize it and i think that's isomorphic to the multiverse uh,
3: yeah you could and and so you know there's this idea in uh, c- computer science uh defined by a guy named Stephen Wolfram and it's called computational irreducibility and what he says is that some processes are uh, computationally reducible meaning you can figure out what will happen those processes get to the same states again and again Uh, and you kind of know where they're going to end up because they just get stuck in that same state right Uh, But then there are other processes which are uh, complex. And so this is the origin of chaos theory, which says you don't know what's going to happen unless you run the process that many steps. To find out what's going to happen at step number 2 million, you have to go to step number 1,999,999, and then you'll find out what happens. And that's the origins of this thing called the butterfly effect, where, you know, they say the butterfly flaps its wings in hong kong and the stock market crashes in new york right it's a sensitivity <laughs> to small conditions so i think you know it depends on if the universe is uh, you know uh stable in that you can get the same uh, if you get the same to the same place you it ends up going in the same place or if you don't know what's going to happen and you have to run it you know i, I tend to have the opinion that it's we don't know what's going to happen and that's the whole point of running this program called the universe is because each of us is making choices and we'll see what what will happen but you're right it could be that we get to the similar points and we make different choices and that's why i define this thing called the multiverse graph In a sense, I'm almost saying there's no such thing as a multiverse because there's no such thing as a universe. These are all the possible choices that could be made. And what we define of as the universe is just going through that list of all the possible choices. And so it's like the
4: Gnostic Pleroma, you know, it's the fullness, the the everythingness, the all the choices, all the configurations, all the information. All available. And I think there's a rule of consistency where from, if you're a conscious being, you have to from one step to the other, things have to be consistent. Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't have a continuous conscious stream.
3: Right. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, and, and I didn't know that specific term. So that's interesting as well. Uh, But, you know, I look at it from the video game player's point of view that, okay, the avatar might not know, uh, might not remember everything. But you, since you're playing the avatar, you can remember perhaps even the previous run of the the video game, whereas Mm -hmm. the avatar wouldn't. But it seeps through because you are fused with the avatar. And I think with the new Matrix movie, we'll see again, it'll probably be out by the time Uh, the viewers watch this you know where keanu reeves neo and uh, trinity don't remember each other why because they're (laughs) rerunning the simulation (laughs) so we'll see what happens yeah
2: yeah that's a very very cool and uh uh do you have a favorite um simulation movie or something that speaks to you or just too many to mention
3: well i think the ones that i've mentioned you know the matrix and the 13th floor are kind of my favorite simulation movies. The Matrix, because of the general idea and how it's gotten out there. But I think the 13th floor really mm-hmm. gets into this idea of nested simulations and multiple simulations and the distinction between the PCs and the NPCs. And of course, that was based on a German TV series, which was based on an old book. And so, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. And and part of my, uh, I'm actually working on a PhD at the moment. And uh, this next semester, I'll be going through lots of science fiction to try to find different de- descriptions of the metaverse, which is something that we're building today, but really with the end goal eventually tying that to you know, looking at how different people uh, have portrayed uh, virtual reality in, inside different uh, stories and, and imaginaries, as we call them, in academia. Uh, so there's a lot more out there when you start to consider the books and you start to consider the short stories that were uh, about the simulation with movies. There's only a handful really that, uh, you know, we all reference. Yeah.
2: Yeah, And speaking of literature, I'd like to end with an author who's one of my favorite authors, very heavily like Dick influenced by Gnosticism. And so happy you mentioned him in your book. And that's Jorge Luis Borges, the Argentinian uh, author. And here's a quote I even put up because I want to end with this. From his book uh, *Garden of* *Garden of Forking Paths*, and that's uh, *Sweet Pen*, who says, "I leave to some, but perhaps not to all, possible future." My Garden of Forking Paths, Our Shared Simulated Multiverse. So that was great. And yeah, Jorge Luis Borges plays with these themes in a lot of his stories. Possible Futures, Alternative Paths, uh, the Akashic Records, where everything's stored. Like you said, way before there was a personal computer like Dick. They were just uh, on a different level.
3: Yeah, well, I love his you know, the story of the Garden of Forking Paths, and I felt like that was a, a nice metaphor. And even physicists try to use that in describing, uh, you know, the multiverse idea, but it fits so well with this idea that there are all these different paths, and we'll see which ones we end up going on and which one we happen to be on for the moment.
2: Indeed. Well, this has been a great conversation uh, for those who will be listening on audio. I'll have something flashing on the screen, I'm sure, on the show notes, but... Where can they find out more about you and your work and everything else, Riz?
3: Sure. So my website is uh, zenentrepreneur.com, uh, which has all my books on there. And then, of course, you can get the books on Amazon. And they can follow me on Twitter at Riz Stanford, like the university name.
2: Awesome. Well, I highly recommend uh, Simulated Multiverse by Rizwan Virk and his other book, too. But... We are at the end of this simulation of so much possibility and forking paths. Uh, Vance, thanks for keeping us company.
4: No problem. Now I got to go back and uh, fire up my little mini CERN thing. See if we can burn a hole in the multiverse here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: Tuesday night, why not? Port of CERN. Yeah, yeah. Well, Rez, we really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, good luck with your PhD, your jobs, and uh, whatever, hopefully whatever great uh, work you put out in the future as far as books.
3: Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me on. This has been a blast. I really enjoyed talking with you guys. Yeah.
2: Thank Same you. Here. our pleasure.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
1: And there you have it, an incredible chat with Rezwan. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope your mind is blown. I hope it has expanded your mind while reality. So let's get to the interview with Tamara Lucid. Uh, My uh, takeaway or preview of this is a theme, again, a theme that sort of flows throughout our interview about her time in the inner sanctum of Manly P. Hall. And that is the idea of how everything casts a shadow. And I've been talking about in the show uh, on Bide A lot about this, everything casts a shadow, every ideology, every philosophy, every religion. And the occult and the esoterica is no different. Uh, as I, as I've said before too, uh, you, the only thing that does not cast a shadow is your higher self. That's why it's so important to look in and reach for that higher self. Actually, you are the shadow of your higher self. So you need to dissipate that and make contact with your daemon. Anyway, that's the theme. And, uh, this definitely hits a peak. When we discuss the individual Fritz, uh, Fritz, uh, was an individual, as Tamara discusses, who was very strong with his spirituality, his intention, his uh, thrust, and he became part of the inner sanctum of Manly King Hall and eventually pushed out Tamara and her husband as the book making the ordinary, extraordinary details, uh, uh, Fritz eventually became the caretaker of Manly P Hall and uh, just before Hall passed away he somehow handed over everything to Fritz and that caused a huge storm afterwards with uh, Hall's wife Marie having to sue to get back all the resources and all the stuff that uh, Hall allegedly handed over in his in his inheritance to Fritz uh, and it's interesting because there's not much on the internets about this controversy. And that's, again, it's strange, especially considering this age of uh, conspiracy theories and intrigues and all that good stuff. But uh, Fritz is definitely a symbol of how something can cast a shadow, and this shadow can completely take over a group, an organization, and an entire movement. So keep in mind that as we go to our interview with the amazing Tamara, and she has a whole lot of other good gnosis for you. Enjoy.
2: This is the Aeon Bite interview. And with us, we definitely have the pleasure of being joined by Tamara Lucid to discuss her book. And I'm sure I'll have it flashing on the screen. I have oh, it excellent. right here. Really enjoyed it. Making the Ordinary Extraordinary my seven years in a co los angeles with manly palmer hall Tamara, thank you very much for coming on the show
5: thank you for having me
2: pleasure is all ours and with us we have somebody who's definitely a fan of mr hall as Tamara calls him in the book and that is vance the moon dog vance how you doing
4: i'm okay this afternoon and uh i'm a fan i haven't read him for years and i'm not an expert but i'm looking forward to being uh refreshed
2: yeah i think with uh with uh with manly p hall he's like a foundation to anybody who goes into the mystical or the occult you're gonna run into him he's gonna influence you you're gonna go back here and there to look at his research and yeah an essential figure in this history and uh Your book, I read it, as I told you over email, I read it in one evening. I sat here in the study. I just opened it, and I was like, couldn't put it down. It was very (laughs) exciting. It was a journey, and then I reread it again. And you were definitely in the inner sanctum of Mr. Hall. Um, And I like how you said somebody asked you, I believe, well, why did it take you so long to write this? And you said, well, nobody had asked me this story until recently, right, Tamara? that's true that is
5: true also i was i was being goaded by uh arthur johnson he he definitely uh pushed the idea upon me
2: arthur johnson who is that i think i have
5: he's the guitar player and sometimes driver of mr hall
2: oh okay okay yeah. One of
5: the five fellows.
2: No, oh, yes, the five fellows exactly. Well, awesome. Before we get into that period of your life, tell us how how did you exactly become interested in these uh, heterodox uh, topics, the occult? How how did you get into this? Uh, how did you go down into this rabbit hole, Tamara?
5: Well, it was. Um, let me see. As I explained in the book, Ronnie had received uh, money for his birthday, and he was looking for Stacy Judd's book. And we went to the Bodhi Tree, did not find Stacy Judd's book, but we did find the Secret Teachings. And it was such an extraordinary book. It was old, and it was it was so cool. And um, we just started reading the Big Book, and through reading the big book it just it, it opened up all kinds of of amazing worlds to us um and the fascination with each one of these different worlds and there were hundreds of them uh just that those were the rabbit holes that we definitely went after
2: but before that Tamara, you were already into this uh into this into this stuff, right? You were into astrology and all that. Oh, uh, was it really uh, the secret teachings that was that your? That kicked
5: it over. That, that kicked it over. To, yeah, that you know the yeah. I was interested in astrology, especially the self-interest. You know, what does a Capricorn represent? You know, everybody's fascinated with their own self, um, but but the depth realizing that there were such depth to all these things, even, you know, the simplicity of, of watching nature observation of nature and how that relates to the human experience that it was so compelling. It was so beautiful. All these different people that experienced these, these amazing experiences that, that improved their lives. So more, I was, I was more into self-improvement improving the life that i was given and it that was the motivation and but not not a heavy dude i did not come from a background of uh intellectual pursuits or spiritual
2: no that makes sense i mean again astrology 80s california it was already there in the air and you really went deep and uh for uh the audience maybe tell us how you met uh, Ronnie Pontiac. That was also another, obviously, a very big uh, synchronicity in time in your life.
5: In, in the book, I describe um, meeting in a, a, a rainy parking lot at like two in the morning and um, requesting assistance um, from a stranger, a kind stranger um, that didn't seem very cl- kind at the time, but... I thought he was. I thought he was a good person, and I I have never been wrong about that observation.
2: Yeah, I believe it. didn't people warn you at the bar? Watch out yes. for this dude. <laughs> you didn't yeah, he didn't listen.
5: This guy's bad news. <laughs> Look at him. He's smoking a black cigarette in the rain. That's got to be a nefarious
2: man. <laughs> a Bond <Hey>. villain.
5: Adamy <laughs> <laughs> villain, definitely, definitely more the Vegeta the vegeta as opposed to the goku but
2: oh yes very cool analogies love it
5: yeah yeah
2: yeah it's <laughs> been great uh watching dragon ball and then going with my my uh two sons going through the whole cycle so
5: oh that's marvelous fun. yeah ronnie got me into dragon ball Z too. so um good man,
2: <laughs> good man.
5: <laughs> and i i you know ultimately a big fan of beerus so you know when someone can make a, a magnificent character out of out of their cat, I'm always for that.
2: Amen, amen, definitely agree. and uh let us um how did you so you and Ronnie got together, you became an item, uh, two souls or what's the what's they say about love, two souls uh, one soul in two bodies uh, and so forth on a great journey. How did you guys eventually meet uh, Mr. Hall himself? Tell us about that process.
5: Well, we volunteered at PRS. And um, Ronnie really didn't have the skill sets they were looking for, but he did know language. And he was a very good student. And... um, they offered me a secretarial position. Um, and the funny story is that um, Christine, the woman who was in charge of hiring and whatnot, had mentioned to Mr. Hall that we had, we had volunteered and that Ronnie did have certain skills with language. So Edith, Mr. Hall's secretary called and, and No, I'm not sure which one. I think it was Christine called and said, could Ronnie come in with a meeting with Mr. Hall? He wants to speak to him. And, you know, that caused great concern. But um, Ronnie went into the meeting. There was a phalanx of women there, of course. Um, Pat, Christine, Edith, Pearl, Alice, all these (laughs) very intimidating women. And of course, Mr. Hall offering Ronnie to come in and sit down and make yourself miserable. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he started talking to Ronnie and he said, well, you know, languages, how are you with them? French, German. Um, and Ronnie said, I, I can, I can do that with with a dictionary, of course. Um, and Mr. Hall was fine, here's the galley to my alchemical bibliography. Go ahead, work that, edit that, help me out. (laughs) And poor Ronnie was just beside himself. He, He really did not feel up to the task. And as he walked out the door, of course, Pat was standing there and she said, I'll take that now. And he was like, thank you you know, this, this is too much. I don't think I, I, I don't think I can do that. And we were convinced that, okay, maybe Mr. Hall was just a little too enthusiastic, you know, it's, it's made a mistake. Um, well, of course, that evening, Edith called on the phone and said, Ronnie, Mr. Hall's office, 9am. We were both like, ah, okay. Now I'm not involved there. Ronnie's on his own. Um, And again, he moved, he went, he went to Mr. Hall's office. Mr. Hall slid that galley in front of him and said, from now on, you take orders from me and I want you to work on the bibliography for me. So Ronnie took that as that's what I'm here to do. I'm going to take this mission up, and and I'm going to do the best job I possibly can. This man is trusting me, and um, on our way home, we had to stop and get many dictionaries, <laughs> language dictionaries, Latin, um, and some books on alchemy because he, we did not have a uh, a deep understanding of alchemy at that point. So that that started that that was the first you know meeting. <laughs>
2: quite a meeting. And yeah, you and Ronnie became friends uh, with uh, Mr. Hall. You became part of the organization. And it's amazing how Ronnie was became, uh, it's almost like he was chosen to be the protege of Mr. Hall from the get-go. Eventually, what he was giving lectures, he was being shown or given the keys to the kingdom, if you would, or shown around. So... That was, uh, that must have been kind of surprising. And obviously, Ronnie was up to the task. He was popular. His research hit, you know, he obviously got the right people jealous. So that means he was doing something right, you know, <laughs> especially in a hallowed organization like the where you guys were. So, uh, were you just so surprised or it's just this destiny?
5: It was stunning. I mean, for us, it was. <laughs> Um, You can tell by the reaction. Um, We had come from such um, a different background. We were not the philosophical types. (laughs) And yet um, we were given through friendship and just association. There was a kindness there, a sharing between people. So whether it was Edith deciding, all right, Team, team Ronnie is, is Mr. Hall's favorite team. So we're going with Team Ronnie. Mm-hmm. And so she would, here's an alchemical book. Here's, you know, this or that. Um, Alice would, would do the same thing. She'd always be very severe and very, very tough. And then you should read this. This would help a great deal. Um, they were always so willing. Everyone was always so willing to share information. It's like being in a beehive. All these little bees with all these bits of information, where the right flower is, what will do the best for your research. Um, this will help the way you're thinking. Um, whatever it was, the the sharing of information, um, the the conscious effort to create consciousness expanding in other people's minds was was just. That was the most amazing thing about about that place at the time when we were there. And And, you were
2: there from what time to what time? So just so the audience knows. Early 80s, maybe
5: 83, 82 to about 87 or something. It was seven years, roughly seven years. Um, Long enough to, you know, experience almost a whole lifetime in this Mm. this short span um so yeah
2: i know and just uh personally i'm jealous what an incredible experience like you said an entire universe of people giving everything like you said for the expansion of consciousness uh, finding the wisdom of the ages, understanding these uh, eternal symbols, uh, trying to make contact with higher forms of reality—I mean, doesn't get better than that. I, I no,
5: <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty wonderful. <laughs>
2: It is wonderful. I was, uh, yeah. And I mean, the characters you met is just incredible. I mean, like you said, Marianne Williamson worked there for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you interacted with Dr. Stefan Heller, who I've met many times, who I admire because of his work on Gnosticism. He's and so brilliant. Oh, yeah. So, uh, an incredible experience. But there was also all types of characters. I think my favorite story, and I really hope this is true was uh manly told you this he said that there was a meeting i'm not sure if it was there where you were but some lady had to announce that she was the reincarnation of hypatia of alexandria and suddenly another lady goes no i am and another one goes no i
5: that that was a joke um (laughs) but a wonderful joke he was always so capable of applying a joke applying a, a little parable or something a story um, brilliant use of, of stories um, you could teach everything in a simple joke or a simple story he was an artist with that always always could paint or weave the most the most beautiful and telling things without any difficulty without taking away all the 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 intellectual riffraff you might call it um and and just getting down to the essence the beauty of the story and how it applies to the elevation of your soul ultimately the elevation of your soul or your intellect
2: yeah well said and he certainly practiced what he preached there was one so many great anecdotes and stories in your book we could spend a lot of time but Another one that, uh, struck me was, uh, you guys were at a restaurant and there was some guy being very belligerent and, uh, Mr. Hall just went to him and sort of just stared at him and sort of, uh, calmed and calmed him down before he got out of hand with his uh, wife. And, uh, he told you, well, I just learned this from a Polonius of Tyana, so something like well- that. He, he, he applied what he learned on others.
5: Well, yeah. I mean, he never looked that man in his eyes. Um, it was beautiful martial arts, actually. Um, he basically took the momentum of his opponent and diverted it. Um, he he did not confront. He simply diverted the energy. So that man was getting very rough with his wife. Mm. Mr. Hall just stepped in front and looked the other way. The guy kept trying to get to his wife. And every time Mr. Hall seemed to be looking at something else and got right in that man's way. Oh, and he just frustrated the daylights out of the guy. And um, he, um, because that man couldn't take his energy, his anger, it kept getting thwarted, it eventually turned inward. And he saw his behavior was out of control. And he calmed down. But the story actually was that Ronnie and I had been reading about Apollonius of Uh, Tyana, And we thought it was a bit of a stretch because the story went that um, he stopped a riot simply by holding still by standing still and just being calm in the middle of all this chaos going on around him. Now, you know, we kind of kind of thought, that's a stretch. You know, you can't stop a riot. People are excited. Things are burning and blowing up. Um, not one person standing still cannot stop a riot. Well, we were planning it that evening to ask Mr. Hall exactly about that. How does that really happen? That's, that can't, it's a metaphor, right? (laughs) And never got to ask that question because we watched him do just that. Um, Now that's kind of the the synchronicity that Mr. Hall had. Um, Was he reading our minds that we were going to ask the question and he, he created an example for us to see. well, it makes a good story that it was like that. Um, Coincidence, little bit of coincidence, definitely, but a simple example of how the world can teach you. So in this incident, we asked, we posed the question to the world. Could that really happen? And we saw in this tiny, tiny bit of space situation. Yeah. Somebody can do that. The right, the right person with the right mindset and the right skill set certainly can do something like that. It's easy. I've I've started, I've stopped fights by smiling at somebody. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, we need more Apollonius of Tyans in this era here in the United States and Europe. (laughs) (laughs) It's just one big powder keg.
5: (laughs) You know, it's funny. I think there's, I think there's a lot of them, but you never hear about them Mm -hmm. because nothing happens.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That is true If it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead in the news, as they say. Exactly. So here's to that. And, uh, yeah. And as your book, uh, you detailed the wonderful evenings you would have at his house and talking and drinking and just sharing all the cool stuff that Vance and I would love to talk about 24 seven, but not here in the real world. Uh, Somebody who was amazing was uh, his wife, Marie. Maybe you can tell us about her and her idea of the the Earth Mother or the, the space, space Mother. God. Space Mother, sorry. God. The Earth Mother, yeah, that's too mundane. That's Gaia. The Space Mother.
5: There's nothing mundane about Gaia.
2: Well, um. well a lot of books have been written and sold on it, but we're, now we want Space Mother.
5: <laughs> space Mother Principle. Universe yeah. Mother. There yeah. we go. Well, she's just saying that that the real God, the big God, Numero Uno, would be a female God, and then, of course, in in her theories, um, she would definitely um, say that gender would not actually be a part of that. But I digress. Um, <laughs> let's see. <sighs> <laughs> Talking about the space mother principle can be quite um, vexing, um, but I think her. We once asked Mr. Hall, um, I think when she was out of the room, um, what he really thought of Marie's teaching. Mm-hmm. And um, he was very quick to answer, and he was he was very thoughtful and he, he said I believe that she is in the lineage of great Christian mystics um, and I tend to agree with that um, I think that one of the things that makes her such a remarkable character is her experiences in life were experiences that many women go through and as a result, she was a traumatized human being. And I believe she spoke in symbolic language. A lot of people who go through trauma speak symbolically. And that's why it's sometimes difficult. People don't understand um, their behavior, their attitudes, or what they're talking about. You know, there was the trauma. This is that. And now it's done. Um, so, Part of her motivation was her experience of her soul trying to deal and cope with the trauma and and be a healthy, normal human being. Again, we go back to mysticism as the principle of self-help and en- en- enlightened self-help and enlightening the self. So, and that that is what she and she was trying to express a lot of the. Um, Frustration that a female has in a patriarchal society. She's dealing with classic patriarchal trauma, and then using her mystical experience to explain herself. So, see that there's levels going mm-hmm. on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a long time, I did not understand that at all, and it, it took a very long time for me to have enough perspective to deal with my own issues, um, to see her theories. Oh, I, I, I can't really find the right word, but to, well, to understand her, her theories better. Um, but it took some time and like she always said, Oh, you get it down to your DNA. You'll, you'll, you get it. You just don't know. you got it. Now, Ronnie and I were one sitting and talking about Marie. um, Before we started writing the book and Ronnie, I said, I I still, I still don't get what Marie was talking about. Exactly. The space mother and all these other things. (laughs) I remember the headaches. I remember it went on way too long and Ronnie, Ronnie tried to offer up because he was, he was getting her work. He was able to say speak to her and and, and really d- deep understanding of it and, and and seemed to really he followed her when I thought I didn't. Well, of course, he started explaining it back to me. And all of a sudden I went, no, 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 no. That's not what it was about. Actually, what it was was, and I I went on for about 10 minutes and I stopped and I went, hmm. Maybe she was right about it. I got it in my DNA, but I just didn't realize I had it. That now, and it, it was a remarkable experience. You know, I guess I did get it a little bit. You know.
2: <laughs> and in your point of view, how do you feel the situation with women and spirituality and the patriarchy? And since 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 the eighties, do you think we've made progress, or where? are things better? Would Marie be happier with what she's seeing today or meet the new boss, same as the old boss?
5: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, as in anything in a patriarchy, we're still doing it backwards and on high heels. <laughs> um, now, the nice thing is there is a little bit more, um, freedom. Mm-hmm. But being denied a seat at the table when it comes to intellectualism, uh spirituality, um, has definitely been an obstacle to overcome. And um it's kind of wonderful when you go through social media, you can see that there are a lot of practitioners now.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: And um, female practitioners. And that is really wonderful because they're, they're going back and saying, uh, we have a tradition. And, you know, when we don't get um, thrown into dest- destitution or or burnt at the stake, um, we can now acknowledge that and, and, and re in it. Um, so that's kind of rewarding and I think I think Marie would be very proud of the ladies for that and I think she'd encourage more equality and she'd probably scold most of the the men as dusty old men with dusty old books (laughs) I thought was charming
2: yeah yeah well there's definitely been a a lot of movement especially the rise of Wicca witchcraft and other things but like you said Mm -hmm. uh, We talk about Hypatia of Alexandria and Marianne Williamson. We need about a hundred more every year. I think that would be uh, the more, the better. So we can change, we can change the game. I think things are
5: moving along. I think if the, just open the door, let everyone in. would be the, the right way to do it and understand that, you know, yeah, our case is a great example Um, Just because someone is not um, book learned doesn't mean they don't have soul knowledge. Mm. And um, combining the two has always been such a marvelous um, marriage, alchemical marriage even.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That is true. And Vance, what do you think? Or do you have a question?
4: Yes. I was was (laughs) wondering... um, um, what 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 was Mr. Hall actually like? Did you talk to him a lot? Did he tell you about his theory? Did he um, do anything magical and mystical? You know, or was he more of a studious person? You know, because uh, you know, as far as the secret teachings of all ages, you know, it's clear that uh, he had you know a lot of knowledge and research capability and so forth. But um, I was always wondering, um, as I read it, was he a practitioner? Did he manifest things? You know, that's what was kind of, what's the feel you got um, uh, from that? Were you exposed to that? Mr. Hall was,
5: um, His he told us his practice, his daily practice, you mean his spiritual practice, was the work he did in service to people, Um, his greatest teachers and where he got the most benefit was relating to people, talking to people, listening to their problems, um, listening to their triumphs, listening to their failures and and learning what made people people. Um, His practice was his work. Um, He loved sharing knowledge. So doing pamphlets, doing lectures sharing the knowledge that he had learned through the years um, was his greatest joy um, as far as i really regret i never saw any of the sleight of hand because apparently he was really good at sleight of hand <laughs> basic magic parlor tricks i always wanted to see that um, but it was never like that it, it was um he was very down home He would much rather describe to you a thing of art and why it was significant and how beautiful it was because of the way it is. Um, The way that that spurred someone to do something great in literature. Um, How it was always um, teaching through example of hard work keeping things light, the man always had a joke. He always had a nice story. Um, it was It was not, you know, if if you asked him a question, you know, that was difficult, he would definitely appropriately respond to the question and try and be an, as honest and direct to you as, as uh, he thought appropriate and, and he could be. Um, he would definitely say, I do not understand that easily without any ego about, I, oh, Manly Hall and I know everything. He was <laughs> not like that at all. Um, very, very human, very, very kind, very, very funny, very gentle.
4: Yeah. Did he have a private practice with individuals as well as doing lectures and so forth? I mean, did he make appointments with individuals, counsel them spiritually?
5: Yes, certainly, ah. yeah, yeah. Um, Masons oh, would yeah. often, the, the yeah, <laughs> dusty old masons. That's another. <laughs> <laughs> um, Marie just knew how to deflate everything. So I think partly, maybe it was Marie. It's like none of that, none of that
4: um that's ironic that was a big part of mr hall right i mean all the he loved old manuscripts and traditions and and you know the the spiritual things back into you know the greeks the romans you know yeah because it's cool it's
5: cool
4: (laughs) i mean like to draw the lines between the civilizations right and the practices and
5: yeah
4: astrology alchemy um and here's Marie saying, oh, you know,
5: yeah, you that's the old that.
0: stuff." Look,
5: I, I've got I've got a religion for you. It's ten times better than this. Let's go with mine. And he was like, "Okay." <laughs> he, he liked her theories too, obviously.
4: Well, what were hers? I, I I haven't heard about her or or what her theories were. What What's the essence of what she uh, what she was you know what her teachings were?
5: Well, she she would say that. Um, the thing that was beautiful about the space mother was that she was so loving that she allowed all the other gods to forget her. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, she gave them freedom to evolve and to perfect. And, that was her greatest. That was the greatest gift that the space mother gave. Um, she and and she adjusted for everything, um, whether it be patriarchy and why it's evil. Um, Lucifer would be redeemed. Um, it, it, it just went on and on. It's it's that's a lot. There's a lot there. Um, that's why i in, in my book i deferred to the other writer who spent time with her um because well one of the things that was marvelous about it was that marie made these these mandala charts that literally would it looked like consciousness written out by a mathematician um they were remarkable they were beautiful and yet so uh, everything had a meeting, meaning, everything had a point, um, and it, it was so intricate, wow. and so, so amazing. And it really was like looking at consciousness written down.
4: Ooh. Are these around anywhere anymore? Or yes,
5: yes. Um, uh, the lady whose name I cannot remember brilliantly um, that's in the book. I do mention her in the book and her book. Um she was given complete access to Marie and the works, and she um, um, I think copied the charts that Marie did.
2: Awesome. And uh, at the same time, obviously, it was a wonderful unif- universe, the philosophical research center, and everything that uh, Mr. Hall had built. But at the same time, we talk about trauma, like Marie. Those of us who are seeking often come from a place of trauma, or we're just outcasts. We're searching. We don't fit in. We're mm-hmm. the misfits and the the drug addicts, and those who have been uh, through several ringers in our lives is just who we are. And so that must have been interesting, because it must have been a place, as you say, where There was a lot of broken souls seeking, and I'm sure you saw many of these souls were not going to get better. They were just going to sort of work their trauma and seek, and oftentimes it got worse than better. There's a passage, which I think was beautiful, in your chapter, Among the Hungry Ghosts, and you write, And so I met many casualties of spirituality gone wrong, the seekers of wisdom who were actually seeking dominion, The ceremonial magicians who opened portals they could not close into realms they could not understand. The positive thinkers whose shadows erupted into inexplicable negative predicaments. The prosperity teacher who never really succeeded at anything. The humble Christian obsessed with self-aggrandizing missions. The white men convinced there were gurus of Eastern lineages. The paranorm- paranormal researchers who discovered entities that would not leave them alone. The psychics who could not shut down the reception of the thoughts and feelings of others. The hucksters repackaging metaphysical teachings as personality cults. What a world of cliques, competition, and manipulation was revealed. So that was your world, and that's the world of many is in the esoteric. It's, uh, I guess, the shadow side, right?
5: yes yeah absolutely um it's, it's sort of like uh yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean we've all
2: experienced it i mean it's just uh, whether it's a theosophical society or any of these places uh, gnostic well, churches can, it's,
5: it's broken souls just, like ours yeah it's and it's not just um <laughs> it's not just in metaphysics no we understand that that's a little world that was a little microcosm but this goes everywhere i mean i walked into music and it was the same thing in music um only amplified um so it can happen anywhere that but that these are you know souls are on a journey in this life to evolve and and it, it's it, that evolution is mighty difficult
2: yeah and it's intense when you're in the occult that's for sure again we are the ones really at the at the edges of town well music is the same thing you are the the shamans of the consciousness the poets the one other, that are going in and facing all these shadows and uh repressed dreams and demons and all that a mystery religion Some of mr are. hall Yeah, (laughs) some of them are indeed. And uh, towards the end of your relationship with Mr. Hall, it must have been very, I'm sure, very bittersweet because uh, I know in one part Mr. Hall talks about no good deed goes unpunished, and he almost, it's almost like he saw his fate and kicked you guys out, and then soon later he sort of... uh, things ended so it must have been really hard do you look back and wonder why it happened or it was just meant to be i mean it's again it's it's almost like mr hall saw something you didn't see but it seemed like it was inevitable but was it (laughs) i go over that part of your book a lot (laughs) when fritz took over
5: um Oh my God, I'm so nervous. I'm so sorry.
2: No, you're doing great.
5: Um, <laughs> it's my first interview. Awesome. Um, but let's see. Well, part of that was that you know, Mr. Hall had, had taken Ronnie aside and said, "Look, it's you got to go now. It's it's time for you to leave." Classic. You know, of course, Ronnie was like. Oh, hell no.
2: Yeah. I'm just getting <laughs> warmed up.
5: <laughs> yeah. This, this might be a test to see if I'm loyal or something. Is like, oh, Mr. Rawls, no, uh, y- y- you need to go because I'm getting up there in years. If you haven't noticed, I'm in my 80s. Mm-hmm. And um, so is my flock. Now we're all going to be leaving. We're all checking out. You've got to face the reality of the situation here, son. Um, we're all going to die. We're really old. And you don't want to be around here for that. You're, you two have a whole life in front of you. You both need to get out. Now, we did not take that invitation <laughs> up too quickly. Um, and it, it, naturally, we, we felt pretty comfortable there. We, we liked being there. That, and that experience improved our lives. But at the same time, he made a good point. You know, there were going to be a lot of deaths coming up really fast. And so his, his what you, you're, it kind of, if I'm, a, I'm assuming you're interpreting as a, a psychic vision of what's about to be his premonition um uh, it wasn't a premonition of fritz it was a premonition of it, w- it wasn't a premonition it was a practical look we're all really old here you're young you don't belong here go
2: yeah the place is well it's eroding it's had its time in the sun yeah, now it's yeah. not vibrant and dynamic yeah like it was
5: yeah and he wanted he wanted to be with his flock and he wanted to take as many of his flock home as as he could while he was he was there um and that's how i referred to it his flock and his he felt responsibility to them i think yeah
2: (laughs) yeah it's hard yeah it's it's hard to uh, i understand what he was doing and he could see the big picture at the same time uh, yeah
5: yeah
4: i don't know then it so you and Ron okay, really thought of you differently, almost like children, and, instead of peers.
5: Yeah, I think I think we were the grandkids.
4: Oh, grandkids, even.
5: Yeah, wow. we were the grandkids, and you know, I think we were treated um, very gently. As as a result, um, I mean, it was just they loved going to going on excursions with us. Um, having dinner with us, um, just very nice, social homespun, you know, simple, simple pleasures. That's, that's why I put the recipe in the, in the back of the book.
2: <laughs> zucchini, like, pancakes, yes. <laughs> <Marie> zucchini pancakes. Yes. Marie's zucchini pancakes.
5: Yeah. Cause it's not just off the box. There's more. Mm. Every chef,
2: I definitely definitely going to try them, and I was wondering about this. And of course, maybe Vance wants to to give his uh, opinion too. But there was a time when Manly P. Hall was really at the top of the occult world. In fact, he was a bona fide celebrity. Period. I mean, wine yeah, and dine. Yeah. Everybody knew him. He he broke so much ground. When it came to his research into the occult, mythology, mm-hmm. history, I mean, I read the secret teachings, I think summer of 2020, I did some work on it, and I was just flabbergastic about how much information can be put in such density with such accuracy and it all just tiny
5: print
2: yeah and he just but he takes you on this perfect journey throughout history without missing a single beat of what's going on whether it's a you know the 15th century with queen elizabeth and all this it just keeps going and the artwork is just sublime but at the same time he doesn't he evanesced or he has evanesced and it seems like others who also came at his, you might say, in his category or at his level, you, you know, Alistair Crowley, Carl Jung, uh, Rudolf Steiner, they are as popular as they are ever and even getting even more popular in these days as, you know, the traditional religions are, you know, fading and the occult is more popular in the internet. So I'm wondering why, but, I mean, now maybe you disagree, but these guys, there's nothing new under the sun. There's that mystical tradition, the wisdom of the ages, the perennial philosophy, but people like Jung and Crowley and uh, Steiner, they were able to repackage it and remarket it in ways that could, you know, were kind of cool, you know, synchronicities, dilemma, uh, Ahriman and Lucifer, and uh, Mr. Hall seemed to be just more of a a sage a cataloger of this information he never really came with his own cool marketing plan if you would is tm yeah. I,
5: don't, I don't know i think i think the secret teachings was one of the coolest marketing plans in the history of mankind um he he not only called okay this is a it's an encyclopedic and i'm not gonna say the name um it's in an encyclopedia of all the great traditions of mysticism. He pulled all that information together, put it into one thing because it's, it was at the time when he did that, it was very difficult to get Mm -hmm. all those books, all those manuscripts, all that information in one place. That, that is a service. This is a great cookbook. (laughs) This is the joy of cooking for mysticism. So Having done that, he also did that, um, he was, he was kind of broke. And um, the story, as I, I recall it, is that um, not only did he assemble all this information into this giant book, he sold it during the Great Depression mm. and managed to stay afloat as a philosopher. Now, this is the difference. Carl Jung, he's a psychologist steiner i don't know what he did um i don't know what he did for a living but we could also include
2: um, h.p blavatsky another one of that level that you know her book is cataloging all this stuff even in atlantis but uh so
5: but for mr hall um it was really doing a service to, to to the students of all ages who wanted to understand about mysticism and philosophy. He was a philosopher. It's, you know, on the resume, how does that read? Hi, I'm a philosopher.
2: I'm going to wait tables.
5: Yeah, yeah it's, I'm an actor. I'm doing this for a living right now. Um, it's it, it, difficult to make a living. Um, I I think he did rather well with it, um, considering there, there's not much um work for philosophers so
2: (laughs) yeah i think you hit it on the head making the ordinary extraordinary he made this uh there's a tagline in my show bringing ancient mysteries to a modern meeting that's what he did he brought this ancient seemingly archaic out-of-date meaning and made it exciting and relevant for you know the 20th century and the 21st
4: century i mean i mean
2: that sparked so much. What do you think Vance?
4: Well, i think he was a um, a pillar of sanity in a in a in an era of a lot of weird spiritual stuff and it was going all over the place and uh, you know <laughs> you could you could come back to you know uh, the the secret teachings and you could get a perspective you know you know how hg wells wrote a big history of you know of humanity right the um, i forget what the title of hg wells but he had you know hg wells writes this big long history well uh, i always thought of manly hall as somebody who actually you know did that for the um, you know spiritual realm you know he 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 unfolded the history and so you could get a, a decent perspective and not get carried away and i always thought he didn't have a dog in the hunt where he was pulling you in one direction or, not, or another right. um you know so uh, that that was always my impression as as far as you know i i i remember it was way back in the 80s when i when i read it so it's become part of me, you know, the things that I read have become part of me.
5: <laughs> but I think that's that's the whole purpose, isn't it? You know, I'll, instead of you having to search blindly through thousands of books and ideas and, and writers and blah, 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 um, here's one big book, big book, and um, whatever page you turn to can open a doorway to assistance in consciousness. Let's call it. He was merely assisting you with your consciousness. If you wanted to develop a philosophy or something like that, here's some great guys to look at. Through the ages, everyone has looked towards this person. Why don't you have a look? See if you like it, take it out for a spin. Try something else if you don't like it. what suits your soul whatever that first step on your path might be but but having that all that that beautiful wisdom available in one place ooh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so sweet doesn't,
4: doesn't your friendly guide much. right to the uh to the uh, non-mundane yeah. yeah
2: and even as a As a scholar, that uh, a friend of ours, Robert Price, and I guess, uh, he's an atheist, and when people criticize the Bible, he goes, no, 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 this is a history of consciousness. It doesn't get more valuable than that. You can see the Bible for thousands of years, how people went from the collective to the individual to the collective, the struggles, uh, all the archetypes and symbols and ideas and hopes and dreams. And the secret teaching is just like that. It's a history of consciousness. And Mm -hmm. that's what we keep talking about. That's what we want to be more conscious.
5: And every individual's experience of consciousness is a valuable experience to be learned from. That's wisdom. Now, you know, going back to what you said about the casualties, unfortunately, and going back to Marie's experience, um, when people are traumatized and they also have these experiences very difficult for them to express what they're going through and it causes them great pain and, and suffering intellectually, spiritually. And, um, it's, it's being able to identify that. Um, hopefully when you, when you read, for instance, the secret teachings, you learn that this is symbolic conversation this is they're they're describing a reality um that is true but they don't have the correct words for it and they don't know how to express it correctly and 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 it causes them to be very upset
2: well said indeed well if you don't mind can we look at some of the pics you sent us sure for the audience let's say uh, where's that ye old powerpoint of the ages where is it do, 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 do. Okay. Can everybody see it?
5: Except me, I can't see it.
2: Do you see it, Vance? Yes, I see it. Uh, I'm
5: and it's not a technical thing. It's it's I i don't have anything in front of me.
2: Okay. Well then I shall describe it for you. Let's Thank see. You. Is it, uh how do you turn this slide shorter? Normal Oh uh, no, I this one All right. Well, there's a picture of uh, Mr. Hall uh reading a book and you say you took that picture?
5: Oh, I didn't take the picture. I don't think. Um but that was um Ronnie and I got to set up Mr. Hall in the vault. And um so we we placed all the all our favorite objects around him and um, the funny thing is that as, as we were setting up the shot, Mr. Hall just started reading. He just pulled out a book and started reading.
0: Mm-hmm. So
5: like I said, he's, he was always working, you know? So he was like, ah, yeah. We should put this in the journal next week. You know, that was just, that was just the way he rolled. So if he was anywhere near a book, all of a sudden he'd start reading in, unless it was in front of Marie.
2: <laughs> nah, What a wonderful life. <laughs> Okay, and I also have a picture of your book so that the audience can purchase it in the cover. And here's a picture of a little uh, sort of Asian-looking house.
5: The tea house in the backyard. Oh. That's the tea house in the backyard of Hall's house. That's where um, we got married in front of that. Oh, cool.
2: (laughs) The other picture is a lady and a man very happy together.
5: That must be marie and ronnie
2: yes yes it is that was on that was before your wedding that was during your wedding or
5: before? reception
2: oh the reception how cool do, 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 do. And yes the
5: other. she got the sun in the 10th house so she was thrilled
2: yeah looks very happy <laughs> and the other picture is a newspaper a punk band female rockers rockers promote awareness of social issue with lyrics
5: that was my first band and that is ronnie with more hair
2: yes a lot more hair <laughs> yeah he's a, he almost looks like the guitar player from queen uh, what's his name the astrophysicist Brian, Brian Brian
5: uh, <laughs> <May>. <laughs> lovely man
2: what exactly is riot girl i didn't even know this term and i thought i knew my rock
5: well it was a uh, a, a small underground punk situation um basically it was um feminist punk rock Mm. you could call it that we preferred equalist rock but
2: yeah that makes sense yeah and the last picture again is uh, you and ronnie and the band together jamming on the couch That is, is lucid nation.
5: Is it inside the studio? Are we laughing?
2: No, he's uh focusing on his guitar. You've got a microphone oh, looking up pensively you're... at this I'll... yeah,
5: that that was um that was um a song we covered by Johnny Thunders um for our drummer who had passed away, mm. one of our drummers. They go to 11
2: awesome all right well those are the images for the audience and i definitely put up the book there <clears throat> but for the audience uh good book you won't be able to put it down and it will give you a a, a bird's eye view a nice tour of this uh, wonderful universe like you said music the occult corporates a universe in itself this universe was just a lot cooler i think <laughs> and a lot weirder and that's a good thing high weirdness is a beautiful thing and we need more of it in this world uh anything else you'd like to say about uh mr hall or the world we live in Tamara? anything else
5: <laughs> those are two incredibly long-winded subjects <laughs> um yeah mr if you if you want to know what he was like as a person. I, I hope I've captured it. Um, I, I tried to. Um, he was a wonderful human being. Um, just incredibly special. We were both two of the luckiest kids in the world. And um, I, hope, I hope that comes across. And uh, as far as the world is concerned, it'll be fine. It's the world. It's smarter than we are.
2: It is. It's got a good plan. So as long as <laughs> look like it,
5: but I hope you're <laughs> right. <laughs> Looks can be so deceiving.
2: <laughs> yeah, I yeah. hope so. Well, any last question or remarks, Vance?
4: Um I thought this is a great opportunity. Uh thank you for providing it to us for, you know, getting to know Manly Hall as a person because, you know, yeah, I kind of always wondered. Uh by the way, um Miguel, do you want do you want to see one of Marie's pictures or her inter- intricate diagram? The diagram? So, yeah, I I can share my screen. I've got yeah, oh, yeah. very good. Yeah. Okay. Host disabled. Um oh, participant geez. screen sharing. Go ahead and enable it if you can.
2: Let's see. I see your little picture. He wasn't ready for Allow spotlight pin stop request. Allow. How do I make you the host? Um. Put in waiting room. I don't want to put you in the waiting room. Request camera. Allow. Ah, make host. All right, Vance. You are now the demiurge.
4: Oh boy. You are the god of this universe. I will share screen. Here we go. Can you see it?
2: Yes. Oh, my God. You weren't you joking about the intricate uh, yeah. <laughs> cosmology and geometry.
5: Let your delicate little consciousness settle on that for a while.
4: <laughs> You'd have to study that for quite a while. It reminds me of sacred geometry.
5: Yes, very much so.
4: I guess. Uh, did she Did she see this from the space mother? I mean, did she have contact with the space mother kind of? Is that where she drew this from, do you think?
5: Well, I would assume yes. Direct, you mean a direct transmission?
4: Yeah, yeah. In one way or another, you know how that can vary, but... I, I would say yes. Okay. I don't want to
5: presume. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I couldn't have given you more, um, fabulous mystical stuff about Mr. Hall. You know? Yes. He, uh, he would levitate off the ground or something exciting. You know? <laughs> I feel like I've let you down.
2: Turn water into wine. Oh, that!
5: Well, that's the trick everyone wants to have.
2: Yes, yes, yes. You,
4: you know, you reminded me, I had a spiritual teacher uh, and a good friend of mine, and um, they were having a get-together on the mountain, and I was late. And when I got there, so, oh, Vance, Vance, you missed it. You know, she levitated off the ground. You know, <laughs> I said, what? And I never saw anything like that. And so um, it's funny. Uh, you should mention that.
2: <laughs> always a little bit late.
4: By the way, um, I always thought, can you see this picture of um, when he was uh, young? In his late 20s? That's a asking? famous
2: picture with the arresting eyes. Black yeah. and white, white tuxedo. Everybody's seen it, yeah.
4: He was I a know.
5: handsome man, okay? Even Marie would say, oh, Papa. <laughs> he had the good looks and the inclination. <laughs> Yeah. And she was still very proud of his looks. She do his hair. Um, you know, it's, it, yeah.
4: So, uh, there you go.
2: Awesome. Well, it's been a great conversation. Uh, I'll have this on the show notes if you want, but, uh, if you, for those who want to listen on audio, do you have a, a website or anywhere they should go beyond closest bookstore, Amazon to find your book? Do you have a general website?
5: i might um
2: but it's secret is so yeah i'm keeping
5: it secret your <laughs> teaching the freemasons right? yeah it. the other, those dusty old masons i tell you their control <laughs> is out of control um i can definitely give you the link and i don't think it's quite set up yet um but definitely it can, the book can be purchased on amazon yeah um or I can just, link
2: you to the inner traditions they have. Yes. They'll have an author, you know, author yeah. profile. We'll find yeah. you on... It's the internet, for Christ's yeah. sake. We'll find it, you.
5: We're there. We're there.
2: Somewhere, somewhere. Oh, Lord, Lucid Nation or somewhere. I'll I'll get some good links going. So, But this has been a great conversation, again, for the audience. Uh, if you are into the esoterica, Manly P. Hall, want to understand occult LA, LA, the theosophy, if you just want a good read about human nature struggle and uh how these things uh grow and disappear if you would Uh, the human struggle the hero's journey i would definitely get making the ordinary the extraordinary highly recommend it and uh tamra thank you very much for coming on a Byte. bite your first interview was just you hit it out of the park right vance
5: absolutely Oh, thank you so much. That's so kind.
2: Well, and uh, that's it. Yeah, Vance, thank you, too, for coming on this journey, too, as always. Yes, thank
4: you, Vance. You bet. Glad I'm, I'm
2: worried next time I'll talk to you, you will have converted to the Space Mother cult and started your own branch <laughs> in California and San ah, Jose or something.
4: How do you know I'm not already? <laughs> ah, all set setup. What do you think LSE is, right? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Vance. And Tamara, thank you very much for coming on AMBide. Really enjoyed it.
5: Thank you for having me.
2: And
1: there you have it. Great chat with Tamara Lucid, part of our doubleheader special 2022 show starting the year right, I hope. And there's some other great interviews and shows coming up. I want to do even better in 2022 than I did last year. And I think I will definitely uh, bring you even more engaging and interesting guests and conversations for you. Now for the, uh, for subscribers, uh, we will have the, if you're listening in the audio version, we will have an old interview with Perry Marshall. He wrote a very interesting and engaging book, very underrated book called Evolution 2.0. And he posits that evolution itself is a code. If you look at it, uh, it falls under the category of a code. And by definition, a code cannot happen randomly. It just can't appear in nature. Therefore, what does this mean? It means that evolution, humans and animals and everything else, had a coder. Who the coder is, that's up to you. Perry is a, uh, a devout Christian, so he comes with the higher intelligence or uh, intelligent design stance, but uh, you can make up your own mind. But his ideas are intriguing, they are scientific, they're logical, and at the same time, they are mystical. Definitely ties in with uh, the interview with uh, Rizwan. So I think you'll find a lot of value, and I think you'll find uh, more expansion of your mind and more ideas to, again, get you through 2022, because it is unreal. And At the end of the day, uh, the battle is won by going inward. Nothing is changed. And the battle is always won, as I keep saying, by writing your own gospel and living your own myth. So thank you for being here, for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye to uh, non-subscribers, and we shall continue for subscribers. Thank you.